This is Innovative States, Ohio, Israel, and the Impact of Exchange, a podcast presentation of the Ohio-Israel Agriculture and Clean Tech Initiative, a project of the Negev Foundation. Stay tuned to learn about businesses, farmers, food producers, and researchers in Ohio and Israel who have joined together in the common pursuit of improving and modernizing the worlds of agriculture, clean tech, and food production, and discover what innovative opportunities the Ohio-Israel Agriculture and Clean Tech Initiative can offer you. Here's your host for Innovative States, Sean Fink. Shalom, and welcome to episode number three of Innovative States, Ohio, Israel, and the Impact of Exchange. On this month's edition, we speak with two guests, both of whom visited Israel on OAICI and Negev Foundation missions to Israel. Jobs Ohio's Director of Food and Agribusiness, Tim Derrickson, will also tell us about Jobs Ohio's role in bringing new food and ag business to the state. And Suzanne Mills Wozniak, owner of Ohio's Mills Farms and a former Extension educator at the Montgomery County Extension Campus of The Ohio State University. She'll detail the tangible lessons she learned while on her trip to Israel and the Israeli farming technology she was able to implement upon her return to the Buckeye State. And in our News You Can Use segment, you'll learn about the Israeli lab behind a groundbreaking development in the fast-growing field of medical and legalized recreational cannabis. Food production. Tim Derrickson began his professional life in the dairy farming business, then served Butler County, Ohio's 53rd District as their state representative in Columbus for seven years before working as the assistant director of the Ohio Department of Agriculture. Tim's background in farming and government make him uniquely qualified for his current role as director of food and agribusiness for Jobs Ohio, a non-government organization that serves as Ohio's private economic development corporation. I recently spoke with Tim about his journey from Ohio to Israel as an OAICI Negev Foundation mission participant and about what makes Ohio the perfect place for Israeli businesses to look for partnerships. Joining us now on Innovative States, Tim Derrickson, Senior Director of Food and Agribusiness for Jobs Ohio. Tim, welcome to Innovative States. Thanks, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here, and it's a pleasure to talk about the initiative. Tim, Jobs Ohio is still a relatively new organization, and as a legislative-created NGO, you operate in a very special way and are able to enjoy a special relationship with the state. We are. Uh, Actually, Jobs Ohio was created through a piece of legislation 11 years ago. Uh, John Kasich was our governor. Through him and some other leaders in the state, we created this private nonprofit to take over business development, economic development for the state. Uh, from a private sector perspective. We later purchased the liquor enterprise, the profit-making monopoly uh, side of of the enterprise that would would create not only funding for our operation, but would create financial incentives that we could offer to businesses either already located here in the state or that were considering the state uh, just as an incentive to come to Ohio to create jobs. Ohio is a unique state in that there are three major metropolitan areas, which almost divide the state in thirds. And yet there's a huge amount of farming and agriculture that takes place here as well. I think for those of us who live in one of the big cities, it's often easy to forget that we're not really very far from active farms that contribute to the nation's food supply chain. Yeah, there's a lot. There's about 74,000 farms averaging 167 acres per farm in the state. That's that you can do the math. That's about 14 million acres from a food chain perspective. In addition to those farmers, we've got a 
about 1,300, just over 1,300 food manufacturers here in the state. So food and agriculture is a huge economic driver and always has been to the state of Ohio, generating roughly $124 billion annually for the state. One could argue it's the largest from a business perspective, it's the largest economic driver in the state. And in addition to all of that ag business and farming in Ohio, it seems that we have a large number of nationally and internationally recognized leaders in food production. Uh, Procter & Gamble and Smuckers, for example, come to mind immediately, which are either headquartered or have a significant manufacturing presence in the state. Most of the brands that, frankly, all of us, most of us have in our kitchen cupboards are produced here, or at least some of their products are produced here in the state. Just yesterday, I spent the morning with Campbell Soup in Napoleon, Ohio. A few days ago, I was at a meeting where General Mills and Belicio Foods is at in Southwest Ohio. But frankly, most of the brands, like I said, that, that, that we're all very common with, have facilities here. It's, it's a very unique state in that that entire food chain has a presence from growing crops, raising livestock, processing uh, manufacturing of food products, as well as a, a pretty good co- population that is not only a consumer, but logistically we're able to reach over half of the country's population in a day's drive. Probably one of the more unique facets of geographically where we are located is that we are the easternmost ag-producing state uh, to the East Coast. So that's a population that logistically Ohio can reach quicker in a less expensive way than any other state that can claim being an ag state. You visited Israel on a Negev Foundation mission a few years ago, Tim. What was that experience like? I was a state representative at the time. And when we went, there was a delegation of elected officials as well as other folks. I was one of the few farm guys on the on the trip. So I just really was looking forward to getting to know other farmers uh, in a different climate with different challenges and different needs, frankly, than what we have here in Ohio, let alone in in the States. And I was just not at all disappointed. It was just very interesting to learn of their challenges and their needs. They differed, but it was so complimentary what we were able to help them with and they help us with, that it was encouraging, I think, for for both of us. My background... uh, First 30 years of my life, I milked cows, fourth generation dairy farmer down in Southwest Ohio. So that's kind of near and dear to me, the, the dairy cows. And we did see dairy herds that had the latest technology that, that anyone in the world can purchase. So that was kind of impressive. But we also saw, saw a number of beef cow herds that originated here in Ohio. The reception that we received uh, from the Israeli ag community was uh, over the top just was wonderful. In terms of technology and innovation, who brings more to the table when looking at a partnership? Ohio, Israel, or is it a draw? I think it's a pretty even partnership and available offerings, frankly. I can give you my experience. And I'll just kind of elaborate a little bit, but a number of the, the animals that were there came from herds in Ohio. And also the technology, for example, one of the dairy farms we were at, uh, they had robotic milkers there that, that came from the States as well. Now, in turn, uh, and this is more my job at Jobs Ohio, it's the entire food chain and everything from from growing crops and raising cattle to stocking store shelves at at your local grocery store and everything in between. But one thing that is in between is a growing controlled environment, agricultural industry, facilities that grow vegetables indoors and are very dependent on irrigation, very specific to the crop, to the plants, 
And that drip irrigation, you know, we have to go back decades, but really came from, from Israel. So we are a huge benefactor of that technology. It's a little bit different industry, but still falls under the food and ag sector. But, you know, it's kind of in my wheelhouse. But, but I do think we both very, very much benefit from a good relationship. In your role with Jobs Ohio, Tim, what do you see as both the challenges and the benefits to fostering international partnerships between Ohio and Israel? It's one thing to have the technology or have the cattle in this case, but it's another thing to market it in any given area, let alone another country, more specifically another state. So organizations like the McGeff Foundation, they play that role of matchmaker. And I think that's very important because there's a presence geographically in both areas. And they have a desire to recognize a need to foster that relationship. And, and again, being that matchmaker is really important for both of us, because I don't know how a farmer in Mercer County, Ohio, would be able to connect with a farmer in Israel who bred cattle or wanted to start a herd, let alone send frozen embryos to be implanted and grow a herd there in another country. It just takes a third person. And we're, we're lucky to have a couple organizations in Ohio, Ohio Jewish Communities, the Gev Foundation, for example, just to name a couple, that have played a huge role in fostering that relationship. So then how does Jobs Ohio make these relationships and partnerships come together? At Jobs Ohio, we have about 140 employees, some of which are international employees that work in other countries. And that's kind of our connection to, to not only the Negev and Ohio Jewish communities, but business owners in other countries, just in general, including Israel, that may have a desire or interest to locate in the States, more specifically in Ohio. And that's our first connection uh, for them, because there they can recognize not only what the state of Ohio could or be willing to do to encourage their location here, but they can also help make some connections with potential customers to help them recognize what that business model might look like for them. That's a, that's a big adjustment, going from one country to the next. And we do want to play a role and help them do that. So let's say we've got a listener in Israel and they've developed the world's finest falafel recipe and they want to begin producing their product for distribution throughout the United States. What is it about Ohio that you would tell them would make it the best place to locate their U.S. operation? You know, regardless of the sector, the one thing that all sector folks talk about, regardless of the sector, is logistics. We can reach 60 percent of the country's population in a day's drive. Now, that's in part because we have such a mature road and rail system here in Ohio. Uh, we just really benefit by that. And so what happens is from a logistics perspective, it's pretty hard to beat Ohio. Now, if your feedstock and your suppliers are maybe in the state of Ohio or within close proximity, that helps from a business or bottom line perspective and making a profit. Um, but reaching ultimately a customer's perspective, Ohio is really strategically in a pretty good place if indeed you want a presence or a market in the United States. And, and I can argue that Ohio is arguably one of the best states to locate a business in, even if your feedstock isn't necessarily right next door. But, but the food sector in particular, food and ag sector, we're here. We're here and, and it's evidenced by 1,300 food manufacturers and the largest food manufacturers that come to, come to your mind are at least have a presence here. They may not be headquartered here, although some are. Procter & Gamble is here in Smuckers. Both are headquartered here in Ohio. 
and, and they're here for strategic reasons. Feedstock is here. Logistics to get product out is here. Workforce is here. So we, we kind of check all the boxes as being an attractive state for companies, even those who are located outside of our country. Our guest is Tim Derrickson. He's Director of Food and Agribusiness for Jobs Ohio. Tim, what are some of the areas you're targeting that you think are ripe for developing these Ohio-Israel partnerships? From a food and ag perspective, this sector is very broad. Like I said, you could be farming, you could be manufacturing food, logistics play a part, technology plays a part. We're seeing a lot of growth in areas that companies are are internationally located to begin with. For example, plant-based foods and beverage. Now, I'm a dairy guy. I'm a cow guy. I, I was a little afraid to bring up that sector, given your background, Tim. <laughs> you can ask. I'm fine. I'm totally fine with that. You, you know, we all have a we all have a different palate and different interests, and that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But but that's certainly a sector or an industry that has been growing for quite some time. Some would argue that's leveling off a bit, but it's not going to go away. That need and demand for that product will be around a long time. And I think that a number of those products, and I've talked with companies from Israel who wanted to enter America's market, and this is how the conversation goes. I mean, what do you have to offer, Tim? Or what does the state of Ohio have to offer us with such a big move? And everything I've just shared with you are advantages to doing that. And that's why there are Israeli companies that are interested in Ohio and vice versa. If there are companies here, for example, with technology that want to enter a different market and find that ultimately there is a market for their product, they are just as interested in Israel. It so works both ways, you know, in this in this equation. I'm just feel very fortunate to be engaged in a sector that is so appealing to Israel and vice versa. We, we've seen the benefits of that time and time again. And I would imagine that there's huge opportunities for cooperation in R&D, given the wealth of research institutions in both Israel and Ohio. There are many of those opportunities. And, and like you say, Ohio State is really who comes to mind first when it comes to ag research, uh, just because they have such a large school. But there are other land, land-grant universities, Central State University, for example, in the, in the Dayton region, and others who have an R&D arm. So our research and development is certainly a subject that is really quite important to, to Jobs Ohio. We offer a number of incentives, one of which is very unique, very specific to companies that want to set up their labs, their R&D facilities here. They tend not to be large employers, but when R&D happens here, there's production that follows. And so we, we tend to take a long-term approach at the incentives that we offer. And R&D is one of those approaches that we take that long-term look at and, and, and really encourage that to happen here. So if that is of interest from an Israeli perspective in Ohio, they'd be welcome with open arms in the state. Tim, is there anything in particular that you'd like to reflect on from your mission to Israel? I guess I wanted to share that this relationship and some of these trade-related missions that many have gone on, me just being one of them, how important that is, that the folks who have who have gone before me and hopefully that will go after me have an interest in ag and you know in my case faith was also a part of that equation and history but i know when we went knowing that a number of cattle herds were started from ohio herds and the bred cattle went over literally on airplanes and now you can also do that with frozen embryos way easier way cheaper i'll never forget a father and a son farmer that we had pizza, just pizza dinner by the Sea of Galilee when we were there. Beautiful night, a lot of history, you know, in a, in a location. But the conversation was just so encouraging and fruitful. They were so appreciative of Ohio farmers uh, sharing their their herd 
with them and that allowed them to create and build their herd. It was very encouraging to those of us with, with an ag background and to know that we have industries here, indoor growing and vegetables, controlled environment, agriculture facilities are using drip irrigation and other technologies that fall under this sector. Um, it is a marriage that is just so welcome. And if we just want to get the emotion out of this and just boil it down to business, we can help the folks in Israel and they can help us. And by golly, we should do it. And for no other reason, just for the bottom line. But there's so much more that can be offered there, enhancing the quality of life and the value, I think, for both of us. That uh, I felt that when I was there. And, and I think these trips, these delegations going to and from are just really valuable. And I think a mix of business folks and legislators are very important because public policy plays a role, like it or not. Public policy plays a role in a lot of the things that we are able to do and not do from a regulatory perspective. So these have been very great trips, and I'm very grateful to the, the folks who have helped encourage this relationship. It sounds like it helps to find that commonality in person and to break down those international barriers. And I've heard from some farmers that have been on the missions from here in Ohio that when you get down to it, farming is an international language, and it's a common language. It sounds like you felt that immediately, that you were able to bond over that? Yeah, I, I really look forward to another trip. Uh, you know, I've got a different hat on now, not a legislative hat, but now from a business development perspective. But I welcome an opportunity to go back and 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 and, and maybe meet with, even if it was just meeting with the same folks, it'd be a little bit different perspective, I think, and, and seeing how I can help them, um, you know, build their presence here and vice versa. Before we wrap things up, Tim, I was just wondering if you, pardon the pun, but if you've heard how the Israeli cattle that have been bred with the Ohio imported cattle that you spoke about earlier are doing, has the project been a success? It has been. That continues. What is interesting is that, you know, once you help build a herd, and no pun intended, but new blood is really good (laughs) for continued growth. For example, dairy cows, it's pretty easy to measure the success of a dairy cow because you do it two or three times a day because you you measure their output, literally. And and so year after year with the same cows, not in a human sense, but the inbreeding can lessen that production level. So to bring in some new female cows for production from a different herd, in this case from Ohio, uh, is very healthy from a business perspective, from a production perspective. We're just lucky, I think on both sides, that since the beginning of this relationship in 2000, technology has allowed us to literally send frozen embryos in a cooler that is way easier than a bred cow in a plane, although we're doing both. But it's fairly easy to do that. And all you need is, you know, a veterinarian at the other end that's able to, to implant, you know, this embryo. So we're able to overcome some of this inbreeding, so to speak, challenge by doing that. So, yeah, the herds are doing great. I've got to tell you, the first dairy farm that we visited when we were there, I was just shocked. I was shocked. I mean, we, we went to the farm, nice farm, by the way. The cows are always kept under a roof, so they're cool. Way more comfortable being under this roof than being in the sun, in the heat, and uh, in the gift. And so they um, they were very comfortable. They were very cool. They were very well cared for. I would suggest that they were as well cared for as many people. <laughs> but all, they were also had that the robotic milkers. So their production for that particular herd was as good as any herd in Ohio because they were so well cared for. And this is true for a lot of dairymen. We really love our cows. I mean, they're they're like you know, you handle them literally every day and you're dependent on them for your income. 
for their production. So you do care for them, but the way they cared for their cows, there was a sincere and very deep appreciation from my perspective, you know, because that's what I do too. And I think what you, we find is, you know, all the, you, we're traveling so far in a plane to get there and the environment is so different. Conditions are so different yet the love for doing a good job at that dairy farming uh, is absolutely universal. And uh, made, I made a good friend my first, first visit, and it was, that was fruitful, to say the least. If our listeners want to learn more about Jobs Ohio, how can they do that? Jobs Ohio has a website. Just Google uh, on your computer, Jobs Ohio, and you'll find the site. And then you'll find me there, too. Jobs Ohio is, is interested in developing and growing 10 different sectors, one of which is food and agriculture. So just click on food nag and you'll find me. And, and I'm happy to have a conversation about this relationship because I, I will forever appreciate that trip. I will forever appreciate this relationship and hope to do it again. Tim Derrickson is director of food and agribusiness for Jobs Ohio. Tim, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, John. For more information about Jobs Ohio, visit them online at jobsohio.com. Innovative States News. I'm Sean Fink with Innovative States News You Can Use. The last 10 years have seen huge strides made in the legalization of marijuana for medical use around the world, and edibles have become one of the most popular and convenient methods of making use of cannabis. One issue that has faced users has been the body's difficulty absorbing cannabis because it's not water-soluble. Israeli business and development website NoCamels.com reports that Israeli researchers with Day 3 labs have devised a way around this problem. They bind the cannabis to protein and they're able to trick the body into thinking the product is food, meaning those looking for near-immediate pain relief will feel the effects of their dose within just 15 minutes rather than the two hours it typically takes for marijuana edibles to take effect. Denver-based D3 Labs pharmaceutical facility in Yeruham, Israel is the first in the world to successfully bind protein to cannabis using a patented technology they call Unlocked. The process has been six years in the making and turns whey protein, or chickpea protein, into tiny nanosponges that bind themselves to the active ingredients in cannabis, making them water-soluble and thus easier for the body to digest. The unlocked product is already being used by several U.S. companies in Colorado, California, and North Carolina for products ranging from gummies to tongue strips to dissolvable tablets to sprays, as well as other products. Day 3 Labs, which gets its name from the day on which the Bible State's plants were created, adds that medical products will take additional time for full development as the company works on specialized formulations for each medical condition. Dr. Shimon Lecht is chief innovation officer for the company. He says, quote, in our vision, we see cannabis as a rich source of active ingredients that we need to understand and develop into real therapies. Most recently, Day 3 Labs has embarked on a drug development program searching for the perfect formulation for Parkinson's disease. Adds Dr. Lecht, these patients won't need to smoke and stay at home because they're high all day, and there are no side effects because it's an all-natural medicine. Day 3 Labs is also partnered with CanNegev, a government-backed technological incubator to support entrepreneurs and startups in the south of Israel. They hire individuals with higher education in the Negev to help them with their research. I'm Sean Fink, and that's Innovative States News You Can Use. Visit OhioIsrael.org for more information about OIACI partnerships, missions to Israel, and more. 
OhioIsrael.org is your gateway to the latest innovations in ag, clean tech, and food production from leading companies and researchers in Ohio and Israel. This is episode number three of Innovative States, Ohio, Israel, and the Impact of Exchange. And I'm your host, Sean Fink. Each year, OIACI and the Negev Foundation send elected officials, business leaders, farmers, educators, and others interested in learning about establishing business partnerships between Ohio and Israel to visit Israel on one of its special missions. For Suzanne Mills Wozniak, the trip was an eye-opener that led the educator and farm owner to implement some of the Israeli technology she'd witnessed firsthand when she returned back home. Our guest for this segment of Innovative States is Suzanne Mills Wozniak. Suzanne is a recently retired extension educator in agriculture and natural resources at the Ohio State University Extension in Montgomery County, Ohio. Thank you for joining us, Suzanne. It's nice to be here. Suzanne, one of your areas of expertise is sustainability. Let's begin by learning a little bit about the importance of managing our natural resources with a focus on sustainability. With the world population that we are experiencing growth, we have to be sustainable. Some of our techniques that we used 20 years ago, 50 years ago, are not going to cut it for feeding the population that we're going to have. We're going to have to get some innovation. It's going to have to be sustainable, which means it needs to be economically viable, environmentally sustainable, and socially responsible. In what way does sustainability pose a challenge for our listeners in Israel, as well as for the students you taught in Ohio? And are there areas in which their needs and or concerns might intersect? Both have issues with water quality, sustainability. We're looking at soil structure, two different types of soils, one Israeli, one Ohio. They're different. But do we have something in common? Yes. When I was in Israel, we were touring and I looked over and I said to our guide, that is mare's tail, correct? Because we have a problem with the weed called mare's tail in Ohio. Well, Israel has the same issues. So there's some commonality with it, with Ohio's push for clean tech, both in the agricultural sector and the industrial sector. We have some common goals that we can use some of the same technology on. Sustainability is a seemingly recent term, something that's only come into the vernacular within, say, the last 20 years or so. Given the intensive focus on sustainable practices over such a relatively short time, would you say that we've entered a golden age of sustainability? Sustainability has been part of the Farm Bill for, like you said, roughly 20 years. It is getting more and more funding through the Farm Bill. We're trying to grow beginning farmers. We're trying to educate our older farmers and the newer generation coming up on new technology. How do you do this? How do you achieve maximum profitability with lower inputs, which we're going to have to do? We have a fertilizer crisis right now. Price-wise, it may be cost prohibitive for some of our producers to apply the normal amount of fertilizer they would normally have done. So to me, we're in a golden age. But I may be wrong. You know, hindsight's going to be 2020, but there are opportunities out there for sustainability. And Israel and the United States both have some very good 
common ground on trying to be sustainable. From an idealistic standpoint, sustainability is all about protecting and preserving our resources and the environment. But in the real world, there are also some very concrete financial benefits to operating in a sustainable way, aren't there? You're very correct. A lot of our producers who do agriculture for a real-time business, they need to be profitable. There's a continuum that goes on. You have suppliers, you have your end users. Everybody has to make a profit to be sustainable and to continue on in years. But I'm also going to tell you now with some of the other things, there is a push for social responsibility in the environmental and sustainability aspect. We have to be socially responsible for our children and grandchildren being able to continue the way of life we have, but also mitigating maybe some of our past bad practices to move forward. I likened it to a three-legged stool, but what I always kind of told the producers that I was talking to is not all three legs are going to be equal at the same time. Something's going to be off or skewed just a hair, and that's okay as long as we have the three pillars of that sustainability. You visited Israel a few years ago on a Negev Foundation OIACI mission, which focused on water conservation and water tech. Water conservation has long been an issue in Israel, where they've always been working on managing and extending a precarious supply of fresh water. Meanwhile, here in the U.S., water access and supply have only recently become areas of concern. What were the Israeli innovations and techniques you saw there that you brought back to the U.S for implementation here? There's a couple of things that really struck me. One was we toured the big desalination plant and they were able to produce very good drinking water in approximately an hour from salt water with very minimal environmental damage. Did we see with the intakes that some of the fish got into the tank? Yeah, but not a major part of it. When you balance the scheme of environmental that wasn't a big kill. We have a lot of cities within the United States and municipalities who have water issues. If they're close to an ocean, that might be a way of allowing the water to come in to these municipalities. Israel is very good about transporting water. There's a premium on it. One of the other things that struck me, we live in a rural area. And so there are a lot of septic systems. Israel has a lot of smaller villages. And we were able to see a wastewater treatment plant that was roughly the size of some of our storage sheds that we have around Ohio. The one that we saw was, I think, for a village of 700 residents. Can you imagine how that would impact one of our smaller towns or villages or even home septic systems? The use of the gray water coming out of the wastewater plants, yeah, the stigma of drinking wastewater, that's not really a good idea. But can I water a lot of plants through wastewater if I have the irrigation system set up correctly and everything is working right? Yes, then that would allow the water to trickle down and go back into the aquifers. So there were a lot of interesting things as to how do we maintain water because Good, clean drinking water is, you can't put a price on that. And we can't always afford what we need. 
Given Israel's more finite resources and much smaller size, did you find a more, for lack of a better word, respectful approach to water usage and also perhaps land usage in Israel than we have in the U.S. and and more specifically in Ohio? I'm going to say yes. In my opinion, yes, because you value water. We have a tendency to waste it. Do we use clear drinking potable water to irrigate? Yes, we do. Is that a waste of a resource and the technology to clean that water and to make it uh, safe for human consumption? I could go with gray water. I can clean that through the natural process of filtration through the ground level. Is that maybe a better use? Yes. There's a respect over there because you didn't have it for water and water usage and the technology. Water makes the world go round. We have to have it to live. We also have to have it to cool manufacturing plants. There's a lot of different things that we may need to be more cognizant of as to how we use our precious resource and how we sustain it. Our guest is Suzanne Mills Wozniak. Suzanne is a farm owner and recently retired extension educator at the Ohio State University Extension Campus in Montgomery County, Ohio. Suzanne also attended an OIACI Nega Foundation mission to Israel. Suzanne, on that mission, you um, were able to pick up some technology that you brought back to your home area near Dayton, Ohio, and put into place uh, some of the solutions you had seen. Yeah, we did. We were very fortunate. Uh, We had a project that was at a homeless shelter in conjunction with the University of Dayton. There were a couple reasons. Socially responsible. It got the men out of the shelter. Number two, it put food in their kitchens. And so it was economically viable. And we could environmentally sustain it because we weren't going to use as much water and run up their water bill if we use the Israeli drip technology. So we did have some demonstrations on. We did have some presentations on. It was very environmentally sustainable. What was it about the uh, situation you faced in Ohio that, that led you to thinking back to what you had seen in Israel as being a solution that you could implement here? We were growing on disturbed urban soil. So we didn't have a really good fertility base. So we had to do a lot of water-soluble fertilizer to keep the plants growing. It was all technology that had been pioneered in Israel and brought to the United States because a lot of our drip technology originated in Israel, modified towards what was needed in the United States. And when you returned to the classroom after visiting Israel, what were some of the Israeli technologies you had seen that you were excited to share with your students and you saw as adaptable for use in Ohio? I liked very much the drip technology area, the fertilizer area, We can also expand some of that into the clean water technology, Northwest Ohio, where we're dumping a lot of fertilizer nutrients into Lake Erie. We're doing the same thing down in our area and in Southwest Ohio. We apply a lot of nutrients every year, be it natural or inorganic nutrients going into the soil. That goes directly into the water through a little bit of a filtration system. But As we talked about earlier, if we want to be economically viable, we are going to pump fertilizer onto some of these crops to feed the world and to sustain our producers. There's technology out there that we can apply. Is it technically right yet for Ohio? I'm not sure. Is it 
economically feasible, eventually it's going to have to be economically feasible to come in and do some of this. Israel pioneered some of this. Their ground isn't the world's best to grow on, but you can sustain yourself and you are an exporter of some of your, especially vegetable crops. And you can also sustain your larger cattle facilities. We turned toward a cattle facility, dairy facility. So you're sustaining yourself. You have some of the same issues that we have with large concentrated livestock units. Were there aspects of what you were teaching at the Ohio State University Extension Campus, Suzanne, that you were able to teach the Israelis you met? Some of the other educators have been over there from Ohio State before and had learned from the Israelis and also our technology back because you've got two different sets of economies. You've got different environmental issues going on and different crops. So it's going to be a give and take. Did I personally do some of that? I don't know, really. I, I really don't know. We were We were more interested in looking at water and drinking water and wastewater. So talk to the producers. I don't know whether I actually provided that much or it was more of a learning experience for me. So would you recommend to other educators that they visit Israel on an OIACI Negev Foundation mission? I would very highly recommend going on a mission to Israel. You learn a lot, you see a lot. And you bring back things that you may not realize when you're looking at them that you're doing, that you're going to bring back and find useful. My husband and I farm. So did we try some of that irrigation technology that we saw over there? I'd done it before in work at the shelter and with some of our larger vegetable producers. But I tried it here to try and see, can we make some of this work just a little bit better with the things that we saw in Israel. You go over with an open mind and you enjoy the people, you enjoy the food, the culture, and you also enjoy the education because Israel has had to survive with very little water. Finally, Suzanne, what I find fascinating about Israel is the confluence of modern technology which is being developed there and the use of that technology in an ancient land uh, for the ancient art of farming and bringing that into the 21st century. That was what was really interesting. The farmers were open to some of this technology. Some of our producers who have come up through the system in agriculture in the United States, they still want to use the same tried and true. The old adage, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. Israeli producers are more willing to, let's give this a try. It's got to work. If it doesn't work, it's not worth anything to us, but let's try it and see if it will. You would be driving through Israel. And as much as I enjoyed the country, it was desolate a lot of times. If there wasn't an irrigation system out in the farming areas, it was brown sand or brown soil. It, there wasn't anything there. But if you had the irrigation system and some of the technologies there, it was green and lush. So yeah, you've got to do both things. And the Galilee supports a lot of agriculture. So does the Negev area. Our guest has been Suzanne Mills Wozniak, a former Extension educator in agriculture and natural resources at the Ohio State University Extension in Montgomery County, Ohio. Suzanne, thank you for appearing with us on this edition of Innovative States. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed going to Israel and I really enjoyed doing this. Lastly, Suzanne, OH. I O. 
This has been episode number three of Innovative States, Ohio, Israel, and the Impact of Exchange. I hope you've enjoyed learning about the work of OIACI in creating and nurturing partnerships between researchers, food producers, policymakers, farmers, and creative thinkers in Ohio and Israel. For more information about OIACI and how you too can get involved in developing a partnership through OIACI, please visit ohioisrael.org or email info at ohioisrael.org. That's info at ohioisrael.org. Innovative States is a podcast presentation of the Ohio-Israel Agriculture and Clean Tech Initiative, a project of the Negev Foundation, produced and hosted by Sean Fink. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us again next month for another edition of Innovative States, Ohio, Israel, and the Impact of Exchange.